Welcome back to Empires of the Future with Denton and Jackson. Uh, we are here today talking about another Supreme Court decision. Uh, we, we had said we are not a Supreme Court podcast. Um, you guys are not going to believe us, I think. <laughs> right, but this week, I mean, it is the most talked about uh, issue by far. It's an issue that we care about, so it makes a lot of sense to talk about it. Yeah. Now, I, I said we're talking about a Supreme Court decision. To be clear, we are not talking so much about a Supreme Court decision, but rather a uh, majority opinion of a Supreme Court decision that has not yet been handed down, but one that was somehow leaked from the Supreme Court. Uh, so this podcast will probably be released, um, I don't know, a couple weeks after this happened, week or two. And uh, so just to refresh, if you haven't already heard, there was this past Monday night, which was um, May 2nd, there was a draft of a majority opinion of the Supreme Court that was scheduled to be released later this summer, and it was leaked to the press um, this last Monday night. Uh, the draft opinion regarding the abortion case coming out of Mississippi that the Supreme Court has been hearing, uh, it would be an earth-shattering decision that would, res- that would um, reverse the famous 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that codified a woman's right to uh, obtain an abortion. Um, it is, frankly, absolutely astounding. Um, the whole story is astounding for various reasons, um, starting with the fact that this, this opinion was leaked in the manner that it was. Right. What are your thoughts on that, Jackson? Well, and and so that is a very important point of clarification. It's almost certain that given that this was a leak, that the final form uh, might look different. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is a breach of the decorum of the Supreme Court to release to release uh, an opinion that's in process like this. Yeah. Uh, Samuel Alito wrote it, and it is so it, it is in process, but it does indicate that uh, sometime in the next few months, it looks like Roe versus Wade will be overturned uh, by a decision on the Supreme Court regarding uh, a case coming out of Mississippi. Yeah. And um, I think that if you have an interest in history at all, you will uh, pick up pretty quickly that if history were predictable, then uh, one, I think historians would have a much more central place in society because we would uh, love to know what's going to happen. But you can't predict what's going to happen. And this is another one of those cases. And I know it's been disorienting uh, for some people. Um, Honestly, uh, you know, us talking about it today, I hope that um, we can talk about, okay, what does this mean for politics in our country? What does it mean uh, for Christians and the Christian witness in our country? Um, because, yeah, it is, it is a surprising change, one that has been in the works. Uh, the pro-life cause has worked for, for uh, yeah. 50 years, yeah. and uh, we look li- it looks like we're very close to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it, you know, the fact that it was, was leaked, from what I understand, from what I've heard, no Supreme Court opinion has ever been leaked before, bef- uh, before the— decision was scheduled to be handed down when it was still in progress and in process. So it really is, is absolutely astounding. They haven't figured out yet who did it. Uh, But from what I understand, there's going to be an investigation as to who it is that leaked this out. There have been some, some theories thrown around, but it's all just hearsay at this point. Uh, But it was clearly someone who was very close to the court who had access to this document. Um, It was most likely probably a, a Supreme court, clerk of some sort uh, or secretary, something of that nature, someone who had access to this document as it was being circulated to the various justices. So that's the way these things work is that the the draft is written and then is circulated among the, the members of the Supreme Court and, uh, and any adjustments that need to be made are made. Um, anyone who dissents has an opportunity to read it and formulate their dissent, um, all of these kinds of things. And so that was the process that this opinion was in when it was leaked but there there was some questions at first as to whether or not it was an actual opinion whether or not it really was the the draft opinion right um some people were saying well you know might not be might be a, a fake or or something else whatever but i guess uh um samuel alito did put out a statement to the press basically confirming that it was the actual 
actual opinion, mm-hmm. the actual draft, as you, as you said. It's not the finished product, but um, if it holds true and all of those um, justices that had signed on to it and agreed with it uh, remain, then, it, then yeah, it will be one that overturns Roe versus Wade. Um, and it's not just a matter of it will establish some sort of, of, of precedent and contradiction to Roe versus Wade, though that is true, but it specifically in the language of the opinion acknowledges this is an overruling of Roe versus Wade right. and, um, and Casey, uh, what was the other one? Um, yeah, Roe, Roe and Casey, which are the two Supreme Court justices, Supreme Court rulings that dealt with abortion. Uh, Roe being the first one, and then Casey coming later, which basically upheld Roe as the precedent um, being being met. And so, yeah, the fact that this was was leaked in the first place is really quite surprising and unprecedented, and could potentially even lead to some form of prosecution. Um, but it's out there now, and it's out right. there for everyone to see. And uh, as you and I were talking about earlier, it has been the the talk of everyone. Um, especially like on Twitter for the past three days. That that was Monday night. It is now Thursday afternoon, right. and there there is nothing else on basically the news or Twitter or or Facebook besides this decision or memes about this decision right. or whatever. This has been the topic du jour for the past three days, um, and so it's something that we ought to consider. It's something we ought to consider both as as being well informed citizens, but also as Christians. I think we can consider it as well and should. So I want to look at, I, I have read the majority of, maybe not entirety of, because it's a long decision. It's a long opinion. It's like mm-hmm. 89 pages long. Mm-hmm. So it's very long. Um, but I read a good portion of it, um, and I pulled out some quotes from the the opinion that I thought maybe we could talk about, um, kind of see what we think about this. Uh, so, But maybe before we get into that, we ought to t- talk a little bit about Roe versus Wade and kind of what that... Uh, Supreme Court decision in 1973 did. Mm-hmm. Um, what did that decision do in 1973, to the to the best that you understand it? Um, so, the move on the part of the Supreme Court at the time was uh, to draw attention to what they called a right to privacy that they claimed existed according to the Constitution. Now. Uh, that is an idea that is not really present in the language uh, as far as a right to privacy that then gets applied to abortion. <clears throat> but the desire on the part of the Supreme Court at that time uh, was to move forward with abortion being legal in the whole country. And it was a surprising decision at the time. And ever since then, uh, there's been an assumption, well, that's over on the part of a lot of people. And uh, it, it can't be over from the standpoint of uh, life begins at conception. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the world, uh, worldwide, there are a variety of different opinions uh, and, and laws on what can be done. And the United States in 1973 moved to a very far end uh, of the spectrum on abortion because look in in countries that are socially much more liberal um spain for instance in spain Mm -hmm. uh you can't receive an abortion uh after 14 weeks i believe is the Mm -hmm. well in this country especially until this law is changed in a lot of places, you can get an abortion up to the moment of birth. Mm-hmm. And that is why a lot of people have discussed for years that uh, America is, is the wild, wild west of uh, of abortion, that yeah. uh, that this can be obtained. Um, and, and that happened because of a sweeping move on the part of the Supreme Court mm-hmm. in 1973. And so, uh, obviously, that is the beginning of the mobilization of the pro-life cause in this country. And there are plenty of people that thought nothing much would come of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but meanwhile, where we are poised is that looks like this decision will go to the states, where yeah. I believe it ought to be. Yeah. Um, so I, I do hope as we go, I, I think there's some discussion to be had about, <clears throat> well, what, uh, I mean, we're ministers. 
Uh, or do you all want uh, the Bible to serve as the law of the land? Uh, no, I, I don't think that it works that way in all cases, but I, I think in this country the way it works is that we ask the people what they think is the most reasonable law, and then what the people determine is what the law is. But we haven't done that mm-hmm. for 50 years on this issue, and now it looks like we're going to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. You, you talked about it, but I think um, what I have recently heard was that there are only five countries in the world that have more liberal abortion laws than what the United States has. Mm-hmm. Canada's one. Canada's one. Canada is probably number one as far as most liberal abortion laws. Mm-hmm. Um, but five countries out of the entire world that are that are more liberal than us—that's not very many. Um, and um, and I think that alone ought to demonstrate that uh, what what the Supreme Court thought they were doing in the decision made in Roe versus Wade um, was they thought they were settling the issue. Right. Well, we'll just basically make this decision. This will settle it. No longer will it be an issue. Settled. Mm-hmm. But as we have seen in the uh, 50 years since then, it has absolutely not settled uh, a thing, uh, but more than anything has really um, livened and inflamed the debate and uh, and brought it to bear. And I think largely has uh, has rallied, like you said, the, the pro-life movement um, to make the progress that it has made. And so, um, yeah, just an amazing, amazing revelation that, that has come out over the past few nights in light of that. So I want to jump into the the opinion that was made, and I've got a few quotes here for us to read. These are some that have, these are some of the same ones. If you've watched news outlets or read articles or watched late night talk show hosts talking about it, you'll hear at least portions of some of these same quotes uh, that they brought up because they are some that most directly speak to what is happening in this opinion. So on, on page two of the opinion, Justice um, Samuel Alito says this, at the time of Roe, 30 states still prohibited abortion at all stages. In the years prior to that decision, about a third of the states had liberalized their laws, but Roe abruptly ended that political process. It imposed the same highly restrictive regime on the entire nation and effectively struck down the abortion laws of every single state. As Justice Byron White aptly put it in his dissent, the decision represented the exercise of raw judicial power. So, what, what Samuel Alito is saying here, his argument, um, is that the decision that was made back in 1973 was an, an overreach by the court. That the court uses what he, and he quotes uh, the justice, that Justice White, that um, dissented that opinion, that it was an exercise of raw judicial power, that the court took up uh, a power, an authority that they did not have, to make this decision um, basically nullifying many of the laws that these states had on the issue. That's why he calls it a highly restrictive regime that was then imposed on the entire nation. Um, And that phrase right there, the very end, exercise of raw judicial power, actually comes up several other times. Mm -hmm. He uses it several other times throughout his... um, his opinion, that seems to be the primary complaint that he has and problem that he sees with Roe versus Wade, right. is that it was a an exercise of raw judicial power. Right, and I, in regard to this issue, uh, we are a people who believes that uh, judges ought to interpret law. Uh, we trust the legislature to go to the people and ask what laws the people believe are wise, and then to bring those laws up to be voted on. And then once those laws are codified, well, then judges can interpret those laws according to what cases come before them. Uh, That's how the system is designed to work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I agree with the assessment that this was not that. Uh, This was... Judges attempting to settle an issue. I'm sorry, and 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 so the entire Supreme Court uh, attempted to settle an issue together, mm-hmm. uh, and it did not settle the issue. Yeah. Uh, it in fact called 
a lot of people to begin a movement and to seek what we now see in our day, what we are likely to see in the next few months, which is the overturning of this law and then returning to where I believe it ought to be, which is uh, the way this all works is it's a question of wisdom. What laws should be on the books? Laws are in place to protect the common good. We have to have laws because otherwise there's anarchy. Nobody wants uh, everybody to be able to do what's right in their own eyes uh, in any given day. Uh, there are certain things that have to be outside the bounds. Well, what things should be outside the bounds? Well, that's in, in our country, the way that's decided is uh, the people get to determine what, what is outside of the pale, what things deserve certain kinds of punishment. Uh, what things are illegal. And so that's where I see us going again. And I think that's a good thing rather than this exercise of raw judicial power. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think what what he's getting at here is that what the, the Supreme Court did in this decision was that they basically became, and we've only moved, I think, probably further in this direction, but the judicial branch, which is the, the court system, uh, and namely the Supreme Court in this case, exercised... Uh, legislative power, which was not theirs to exercise, exercise, exercise. They essentially became um, legislators in this case, where they took up this role of of striking down laws and creating new laws and and right. regulating things that were not theirs to regulate. Um, you're exactly right when you say that the Supreme Court's place is to decide what is constitutional, what is not. Uh, their primary role ought to be to interpret the con Constitution and apply it to the cases before them. Um, in Roe versus Wade, there was a broad overreach from that. Um, it is the role of the legislative branch, which is Congress, uh, that is to create and um, strike down laws, create, undo, modify the laws of the land. And the reason that's, that this power lies with them is because they are elected representatives of the people. So that there is not just some uh, group of individuals like the Supreme Court who are not elected by the people, who are not uh, given terms or limitations, um, and that we, are, we do not have a group like that then just dictating what they think ought to be right and ought to be wrong. They are a check and a balance in the system, uh, but they moved from the position of being a check and a balance uh, to the legislative branch, branch and then became a sort of new legislative branch in this ruling. And that was the problem. That was why it was an issue, um, is because they, they basically usurped their power. Well, when you have 30 states uh, that prohibited abortion in 1973, and then there's a sweeping ruling on the part of the Supreme Court that removes the legislative power of, uh, of at least, I mean, uh, 30 states, and, and look, uh, if people think it stands somewhere different now, well, then let's find out. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. This is, this is how it works uh, in this country, that uh, the, the reason that Supreme Court justices have a life term is because they are supposed to be cooler heads who have a definite job, which is to interpret the laws that are exist. The reason that, for instance, uh, congressmen, members of the House of Representatives, have two-year terms is so that if they don't do what the people expect of them, they can, in rather short order, be voted out of office. Mm -hmm. uh, that That's designed that way on purpose. I mean, and, and then senators have six-year terms for the same reason. They're supposed to have a little bit cooler heads so that uh, this is this is a part of the wisdom of the founders of this country and the, the designers of the system is to understand that uh, people can be fickle. Yeah. So we build in checks on that. Uh, we, we build in the fact that, well, even if people do rapidly have new opinions or different ideas, uh, we shouldn't turn everything upside down in a day. Um, and, and so if I can say one, one result of this for certain, even the events we've already seen uh, will be more polarization on the part uh, even to the Supreme Court. And I, and I don't like that. I don't mm -hmm. think that um, I don't think we need decreasing trust, and and probably what you have is decreasing trust even among the Supreme Court justices, uh, as a result of the events of this week, and that's not good. Um, no. We need 
we need um, things that pull us together. A lot of what I've been reading is uh, it's a concerning time when you have a lot of forces that are driving us apart from each other as a country and not that many that push us together. Um, but if nothing else, I, I, I hope there can be agreement that we do live in a country uh, that we, we legislate according. The, the people have the power to legislate according to their wisdom. What kind of a country do you want to live in? Go and vote that way. Yeah. And that's how this is supposed to work. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so the next quote here, it comes from page five. Um, mind you, that's page five of an 89-page document. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, page five, we see this quote. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one which defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. That provision has been held to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution, but any such right must be deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicitly in the concept of ordered liberty. So this quote um, is one that in part has been mentioned in several of the news articles that I've read. Um, I watched a YouTube video, I think, of uh, Stephen Colbert um, during his monologue on, I don't remember if it was, I think it was Tuesday night, uh, where he he clearly had strong opinions as to why this, he doesn't like this, um, this that's happening, this striking down of Roe versus Wade. And they use this section that's quoted but all they say is, we hold, quoting Samuel Alito, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. But then what is left off is an explanation as to why. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason is because the explanation he gives is that the Constitution makes no reference to abortion. No such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one which they often cite, which would be the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. Um, he's absolutely right. The no ordinary person in their right mind can read the constitution of the United States and the amendments and see, yeah, the, the writers of this clearly intended that I should have the right to, to abortion or that women should have the right to abortion. It's simply not in there. Um, and that's the point he makes. Now he does acknowledge that that amendment, uh, there are some rights that are granted in that amendment that aren't mentioned in the constitution but he, as he says here, any such right must be deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition uh, and implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. And he goes to, to great lengths to demonstrate the fact that abortion is not that. That, in fact, the, the roots of our government, our um, order of, of liberty and of, uh, of, our, of our government is not one that has accepted abortion— uh, but rather has been one that has largely stood against abortion and condemned it by and large. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you go back to some of the earliest um, earliest points of common law, British common law, which is uh, what our, our uh, constitutional system is largely based on, um, even to those earliest illustrations of that, there is an understanding that the inhabitant of the womb um, is a human life. And ought to be protected. In fact, um, many of those laws on the books consider it to be homicide if you um, kill the inhabitant of the womb. Um, they usually refer to what's called quickening, which is the moment whenever a woman can begin to feel the uh, the baby in the womb moving. Um, but they largely use that based upon their uh, their technology. And, and science advancements at the time, but that's all they had to know that there was, that the baby was alive and well inside there. Right. And that's a, I mean, you have cases, most people have heard of cases where um, a pregnant woman uh, is attacked uh, or injured, hurt in some way, even, uh, even if it's an accident, you have a further question if she loses the baby, because it's mm-hmm. not, uh, it's not as if, uh, the family just goes, oh, well, what can you do? I mean, that's that's a serious issue and that we most of us have heard of cases where in those instances, someone might 
for instance, receive two life sentences if, uh, if you kill a pregnant woman and her child as well. Uh, that, that is, that most people have encountered that, so you have that issue, and, and that brings up another part of this that's so important is that um, ultrasound technology has improved since 1973. Our knowledge of uh, what is happening in the development of children has increased. Our ability to keep children alive at, uh, you know, five months, something like this. Uh, most of us have heard stories about that, and, and that has raised this question as well. How can we claim that a child at eight months or seven months is not a human life if we have the capacity to keep that child alive. Uh, and, and those are questions for which the answer is fairly straightforward. Uh, if that child is out of the womb at seven months, uh, well, then that's a human being who's yeah. alive. Yeah. Um, and, and we have, in many cases, the uh, ability that, to, that is to keep that child alive. So... That's how we end up here as well, is uh, the science got us here. The, the, yeah. the science told us, uh, look, there are no, I mean, uh, many people are aware that the, the, the language of trimesters, well, that was invented language for legal purposes. Right. There's nothing that happens at, from the three-month to the four-month mark that changes what a child is. Right. Um, and, and there's nothing that happens from the six month to the seven month mark that, that changes, uh, what a child is. It's, it's a continuous growth. Yeah. Uh, and, and that there's no major milestone along the way that says, ah, here's the point where you can go. This wasn't, uh, I mean, this went from a potential human being to a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more the more science advances, the more arbitrary we begin to see these lines, uh, how arbitrary they are, uh, that are that are oftentimes drawn as when this is uh, a person deserving of, of protection and rights, and when they are not. Right. Um, and ultimately, the the direction that what has al- already been true and right, but what science I think has been leading us to conclude mm-hmm. is that the only logical point at which we can determine when it is and when it is not is at the moment of fertilization. That that is the only actual distinct moment whenever something new uh, is there compared to what was there. Um, and so, which is why many, most, I would say, on the, on the side of the pro-life movement would say that's when life begins and therefore ought to be pre- protected all the way down until that moment. But um, even apart from that, the I think it's been said that the number one greatest argument, greatest tool that has ever come along for the pro-life movement has been the ultrasound right. because it's so obvious on that screen that, that no longer do we need to make philosophical arguments, no longer uh, do we need to make all kinds of uh, moral arguments or scientific arguments. We simply need to say, look and listen. Right. What is this? Like there's, there is no doubt right. at that moment what that is, um, which is why when, when a woman who is considering abortion, um, is able to see her child on the ultrasound, it, almost every single time they recognize what it is and they change their mind and, and right. decide not to abort, which is why in abortion clinics, they don't let them see the screen uh, on the ultrasound because they know what it looks like. Right. And so, um, so yeah, that absolutely that is the case. And, and um, yeah, I don't know what more can be said about that, but... Um, so moving on through the, the argument and, you know, we're only getting glimpses here of the arguments being made. Uh, but I, I did think some of these points that he makes were, were helpful on page 40 in the opinion, justice Alito says Roe was on a collision course with the constitution from the day it was decided. And Casey, that being the other decision that kind of upheld Roe perpetuated its errors and the errors did not concern some arcane corner of the law of little importance to the American people. In other words, this matters. And ever since the day of uh, that Roe was, was codified, it has been 
in contradiction to the Constitution. He says on a collision course with the Constitution. Um, and I think that's absolutely right. It's just, frankly, just just bad law mm-hmm. is what it was when it was decided. He goes on and says, Roe fanned into life an issue that has inflamed our national politics in general and has obscured it and has obscured with its smoke the selection of justices to this court in particular ever since. Together, Roe and Casey represent an error that cannot be allowed to stand. Now, he makes an interesting um, an interesting point, interesting observation here, talking about how Roe has led to a, a huge emphasis, not only emphasis, but he, he calls it um, obscured it with smoke, uh, the selection of Supreme Court justices, um, which is absolutely the case. When was the last time you remember a Supreme Court justice being nominated and this wasn't the front issue? Mm-hmm. There hasn't been one. There hasn't been one. It's always been um, number one. And that's because what Roe did was it demonstrated to the country that these people are able to legislate, right. that they are able to make laws and strike laws down, which is not the place you want the Supreme Court to be. That's not what you want the Supreme Court to be doing. Um, and this gets us back a little bit to what we were already saying, but uh, but that is absolutely the case. So what, what Justice Alito here is proposing and what uh, the other justices that agree with him are proposing. So I, by the way, I think those, those justices are uh, Neil Gorsuch, um, Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, and Clarence Thomas. Uh, all have um, have agreed with this opinion and signed it uh, according to the to the draft that we have. Um, what they are doing here is not making a law. Mm-hmm. They are not making a law in this decision to say abortion is now illegal. Right. That's actually not what's happening. All they're doing is saying, Abortion is no longer going to be something that we as judges regulate, but we're going to push it back to the legislature where it belongs. Since it is not a constant, the Constitution says nothing about this, it is within the purview of the legislature to decide how this should be regulated, what the laws should be, and therefore states now have, will have the right, if this passes, to to do that, which is what they should have in the first place. And that's what you're saying. The reaction to this from many, seems to be now abortion is illegal. I can't get an abortion anywhere no longer. As much as I wish that were the case, it's not. In many states, abortion is going to be just as legal as it ever has been. Right. Um, the, the reaction seems to be largely, um, I don't know, out of step with our constitutional order, maybe? What do you think? Well... I think that a lot of the reaction uh, has been surprise, but again, history takes surprising turns, and this is not out of nowhere. Uh, this has been an issue that has been gaining uh, traction, gaining attention year by year by year, uh, to the point that something can now be done about it. Um, And the composition of the justices on the Supreme Court are looking at the issue and going, we don't think this was correctly decided. We don't think that this was an interpretation of any law that existed. This Mm -hmm. was an invention that bypassed the entire legislative process, and they don't intend to continue that. Um, And if... I think there are questions out there that people have that that we can speak to as ministers, and that is, okay, well, but what is the relationship between you who believe the Bible and the laws of this country? Well, here's the thing. I think if you could ask everyone, would you want everyone to operate? If If you could define your moral standard, would you want everyone to operate well? according to whatever your moral standard is. I, I, would, I would hope the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. You, you, you don't want everyone to just go, oh, I, have no, I want to operate according to no moral standard. I just do whatever, whenever, whatever uh, my positive, negative feelings might tell me. I'll just, 
I'd love to act on them. Um, okay, then what do we want? Well, if we all do want people to operate morally, but then, okay, B, what about when people operate immorally? Well, then you start to ask questions of how broad do you want the, the space to be between the good actions that you're defining and then the actions that are worth punishing? What actions are worth punishing? And that is exactly the place of civil law. Mm-hmm. Okay, define for me. This is why there are books. This is why lawyers have to go to school and look at the shape of law in various, lots and lots of categories. We're in a long tradition of English common law down to the, the centuries of American laws that go on the books. And that's why lawyers have to learn those. Okay, then. The, the laws that go on the books have a process by which they go on the books, and that is dependent on the wisdom of the people mm-hmm. who say, if, if you break into my house and, and you destroy this amount of property, here's what I consider a reasonable punishment for breaking that law. That's what we do. That, that is, that is for, and, and, and I, I, I speak to this because I do think that the unique position you and I have as ministers is we think a lot about the good, and what we can do to, you know, encourage people towards the good. And so uh, Christianity has its work. But in terms of the laws, we as, we as a people, we ask questions like, okay, but when people break laws, what is a just punishment for breaking a certain law? And what should even be in law in the first place? Uh, we, for instance, it's been known for a long time that uh, people can smoke. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty harmful to their body. Mm-hmm. But we as a people have decided if it's them hurting themselves, we're not going to legislate against that. Mm-hmm. Look, this is not that. This, this is another human being. Yeah. And uh, this is a human being that came about by sexual activity, mm-hmm. usually, or by other means. There are technological means by which children are conceived. But this bypassed all legislation. That, that, is, that is what happened in 1973. And yeah. that is why there has been a general sense that it was unjust. Mm-hmm. And here we are that that sense has now arrived at a decision. And yeah. at, at least a decision that is pending. Uh, and so we look to see what's going to come of it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and you'll you'll notice that as you and I are talking, we are largely not even talking about, um, it is a discussion to be had for sure, and it's not absent from the discussion, but we are largely not talking about, um, you know, the value of all life after fertilization, though we would both agree with that, because that leads into all kinds of of areas of this conversation, such as, um, you know, in vitro fertilization, what about fertilized eggs that are stored in, in freezers across right, the country and right. things like that. That's, that's all another conversation for another day. Largely what we're talking about here is, um, is the constitutional um, governance that, and, and practice that is being happening here. Um, and that is, I would largely argue, being made right through this opinion right. from where it was wronged, right. uh, uh, wrongly applied in, previously in um, 1973. Um, so that, that does, you know, that is a part of the issue. And, and I, all this to say, I mean, one other way to phrase this is at all times, someone's morality is being legislated. Yeah. And it, it is a useless statement uh, to say we shouldn't legislate morality. Yeah. The entire reason that, that stealing is illegal is because not only is it immoral, it is also harmful and we have chosen not to stand for it, but in fact to punish it. And we, we believe the punishment should fit the crime. So uh, there are various levels of punishments depending on what you steal. Yeah. It, this, the punishment is not the same if you go into a gas station and take a candy bar as it is if you embezzled $2 million from a bank. Right. We believe the punishment should fit the crime. Well, why? Because we are legislating as a people. Uh, America is a nation of a lot of different kinds of people who come together. And that is why 
people get to vote is because when people become citizens, they are then able to say, this is what I think ought to be outside of the pale. This is, this is what ought to, be, ought to be out of the bounds. And this also then is how it ought to be punished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how, that's how legislation works. And, and that, is, that is the at issue here. You're right. There, there are many, many other discussions to be had. And, and, and this is probably a good thing to mention. I mean, talking about uh, our, our Christian duty. Well, look, we all who are Christians ought to be in the process of asking, okay, Lord, what is my Christian duty in, in all these situations? If you feel called uh, and led to foster, if you feel led to adopt, th- this is another good call to pray about that and consider that. No, everyone is not called to that, but we all have to be mm-hmm. asking, what is our call? Um, because this, if this decision goes through, it does lead to more children, but children are a gift. We live in a time when children are often seen as a burden, um, but they are a gift. Mm-hmm. And, and if we forget that, it is to our own peril. Yeah, that's exactly right. So one of the, one of the complaints that I've heard about, about this opinion um, is that, well, if they're going to legislate um, this, remove this as a, uh, one of our rights to privacy and, and this and that, and I can no longer, um, you know, the Supreme Court has, has taken this away from me, then why will they not overturn um, something like Obergefell? Should, should we worry about Obergefell? Or um, are they going to tell me what I can and cannot do uh, in my own sexual relationships at home uh, because this is the same thing? If I don't have the privacy to do that, do I have the privacy to do this? To do this? How would you respond to those sorts of, of arguments? You know, look, in all of these things, um, look, we have laws against uh, pedophilia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so some of these things, this is what it is to live in a civil society. Certain things are outside of bounds uh, and we come together and, and these things get voted on. But uh, that should not be uh, a scare tactic because we have to do that. Certain things are considered outside of the pale. Um, there is language right now that is just useless language. Uh, love is love. Well, look, everyone agrees that certain things are outside of what should be allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, what are those things then? And we are just, a lot of the conversations I hear are not productive or useful conversations. Yeah. And, and these sorts of issues, you have to use uh, exact language because mm-hmm. the language matters. Uh, what, what you, I mean, that's how legislation works is that you, you judge uh, according to the exact language of laws, not according to what you're making up. Yeah. What I, about you? Uh, what I would, so actually, um, you know, like I said, I've read the majority of the opinion and somewhere in there, I think I remember him basically addressing this issue and saying that this uh, is different um, from those other right to privacy issues. And the namely, the, the main reason that it is different is because there is another entity at issue here, and that entity is what Roe versus Wade referred to as um, potential life. But what the um, the issue at hand, the the law coming from Mississippi, uh, refers to as unborn human life. Um, regardless of how you word it, even in Roe versus Wade, there is a recognition that there is another entity at issue here, um, and therefore wherever you land on what that is, that is a third party issue that is involved, which sets it apart differently from whether or not you and another man uh, can do whatever you want in your bedroom at home or you and, and whatever other consenting adults want to do or whether or not you want to smoke a cigarette in your home or whether or not you want to do this or that. Um, even things that, that we as Christians might say are morally wrong are not legislated in that way because um, it is largely within the privacy, within the confines of you and your home and whatever consenting adults are there. Right. Obviously, that has its own limitations, right. but um, this is is categorically different because the issue at stake involves another right. being, another thing at the very least. And I don't even like saying that because, as you and I both both agree, that that is no thing. That is a human life. Uh, I think 
they call it a potential human life. Um, other philosophers have argued, no, it's actually human life with potential right. is a better description of what it is. And so, yeah, I would say, again, you know, I'm, I'm not even saying I wouldn't like to see uh, Obergefeld overruled and struck down. But this is related to an issue that's substantively different than, than something like the Obergefell decision, which legalized same-sex marriage, because this involves another party, mm. another unwilling party. Mm. So I would say, you, you know, it's, it's a different thing, mm. I would say. So, well, um, what, as you, this is, I think, brings us to this issue, and you've, you've gotten at some of it already, but... We as Christians, we largely haven't talked about the morality of abortion. We've basically just talked about the legality of abortion, Mm -hmm. um, possibly showing our cards along the way. But um, how should we as Christians ought to think about this issue, this issue, um, this opinion that is is on its way down um, regarding abortion, regarding the doing away with of Roe versus Wade? If, If you are speaking to your church members, they say, you know, how should we be thinking about this? How should we be preparing for this? Um, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? How would you respond to those kinds of questions from your church members? Well, uh, we view children as a gift. We view sex as a gift. Now, God's gifts are both powerful and dangerous. Uh, and so God gives us the ability to make decisions that have powerful impacts. We, we wake up every day knowing that the actions that we take part in affect other people. And so these actions in particular, look, it is not so simple that, uh, well, anyone uh, before this decision who had an abortion just moved on with their life and it never bothered them again. Look, uh, we want to love our neighbor. We want to care for all of the people around us. And, and as we are filled with the life of Christ. We want to give that love and that life and share that by serving the people that are around us. And so uh, I I would encourage everyone, um, be patient because there will be anger at this issue. But notice, uh, you do not see in Jesus a defensiveness, an attitude that, uh, uh, come at me, bro, to say say the least. He is willing to endure some of that suffering because this feels to some people like an affront it feels to some people like oh i'm i'm having rights taken away well look this is a situation where your rights were in conflict with another human being's rights Mm -hmm. and that's what this is about and so uh, that that would be my main encouragement is that we view rightly the gifts that god is given but then also don't be surprised if there is if there is a message that I really think the church has to hear. It's don't be surprised when you are misunderstood, and then don't be defensive about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, know who you are in Christ, and know uh, know that both certain things are worth taking some flack over, but that you don't have to get angry and defensive uh, about it. And I, and I pray and hope that we don't. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think. Um... I, I think I would also say, as Christians, when we see this decision being being struck down, specifically uh, as those who are pro-life, um, I also think we ought to not say, great, the evil of abortion is gone, right. uh, because it is not. It, the evil of abortion is not gone. As I said before, as much as I wish it were, this is not a new law that has right. declared abortion to be illegal. Um, it is simply an undoing of a decision that declared abortion to be a right and, and not to be infringed, which is a, a move in the right direction. But um, we would be wrong to think this this evil has been done away with. Certainly, we would we recognize that not only does the evil itself still exist, but the uh, the evil mindset, the the evil heart behind it still exists. Um, and man, even as I say that, I think there's so much to that. Uh, first of all, recognize that though those of us who are Christians have been cleansed, we've been washed. Uh, by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, we recognize that, uh, we ought to recognize, as Scripture would tell us, that that is the only thing that sets us apart from from those who are in support of abortion or perhaps even those who have had abortions. We we need to be careful not to think of ourselves on some great uh, moral high ground as some great people because we are opposed to 
abortion. It is good to be opposed to abortion. But those who are still in a place where they are in support of abortion, who desire abortion, who want it to be legal, this grave evil, um, their position is one that we were once in ourselves, and it's only by God's grace that we had ever been brought from that. And so like you say, uh, be patient with those people, be gracious with those people. Uh, for you had someone uh, who was gracious and patient with you before you, uh, before you were who you are today. Um, and so that is, that is going to be f- key. It's going to be foundational in having conversations with people about this issue. That doesn't mean we coward. It doesn't mean that we um, shy away from speaking the truth in love because, you know what, the truth is that this, uh, this, was, this is a human being created by God deserves protection. Um, the same reasons that, as we talked about uh, previously on an on a episode, um, the same reason that a person ought to be able to have their pastor with them when they are executed mm-hmm is the same reason that we say this is a person deserving of protection because we believe that it is a human being created in the image of God. We don't shy away from that. We don't shy away from that. And yet we don't speak with anger. We don't speak with bitterness. We don't speak as those who um, have obtained a new level of morality above those who don't agree with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so keeping that in mind, keeping in mind the gospel, the only means by which we have the uh, the understanding and the changed heart that we have if we if we are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as we, you know, proclaim that human beings in the womb are human beings, uh, we at the same time ought to be proclaiming the author of life uh, and the gospel that is found in Jesus Christ. So, you know, all of that has to go together, and that seems like a lot. It seems like a daunting task that uh, that we have as Christians. But you know what? We're up for the task because... We have been uh, granted the Holy Spirit who empowers us for that task. And so we have no reason to back away or, or be afraid as we step up to the plate. I agree. So, Well, Jackson, do you have anything else to add? I don't. All right. Well, uh, I am Denton, and this is Jackson here with me, and we are Empires of the Future. And we'll see you in the future.